Okay, welcome back, uh, loyal listeners, to uh, 102.2. This is, uh, what week is it, Will? It's week, um, yeah, that one. It's a week around <laughs> mid-semester, maybe a bit later. Uh, some of you will know this week is Anzac week, because we had a, a holiday on Tuesday, which uh, makes, makes this feel like Monday, doesn't it? But it it's does. Wednesday. Yeah. Time warps. And this week, we, we did our comparison of Puja. We broke the mold. And, uh, and, and Will and I were just talking. You know, we, we made in, in class a number of comparisons of the two practices. And I was just confessing to Will that in writing today's lecture, I was actually surprised at just how similar the practices were. And that um, if you look at Hindu puja and Buddha puja or puja to Bodhi trees uh, and even dana to monks to some extent, there's so much that's shared and then it, it sort of led me to reflect, like, is are we comparing two sort of different ritual practices or are we comparing different traditional expressions of some kind of other culture of offering food? Like, in other words, are Buddhism and Hinduism just different types of expressions of some more general Indic template about food, you know? Uh, well, I wondered your well, the video that you showed, but also many of your examples were specifically drawn from Sri Lankan yeah, Buddhism, which is within the South Asian cultural sphere, much mm. more so than Southeast Asian examples might be. But I, I think you would find certainly Buddha Puja going on yeah. in, in those other Theravadan countries. But maybe the form it would take would be a little l less similar to uh, the Hindu form. But, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, certainly there were strong similarities. I mean, one thing that I don't get to talk about this year that in other years I do is the fact that Buddhists in Sri Lanka, well, Buddhists all over the Theravada world, they make offerings to the Buddha and they participate in, in you know, various rituals, Vesak and, you know, giving food to monks. But they also participate in offerings to the deities at the same time. And right. sometimes or a lot of the time in Sri Lanka, at the same place. Actually, I was going to ask you that about. In, the, in your lecture today, you talked about the six destinies, the, mm. you know, the hell beings and the hungry ghosts, but you didn't talk about deities, mm. uh, the warrant deities in Sri Lankan Buddhism, for example, that, 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 that do crop up. So mm. is that something that... Well, we don't really get much time to talk yeah. about it this semester because we're looking at other things. But do Sri Lankan Buddhists make offerings to those deities? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the when I lived in Kandy, one of my favorite things to do was to visit. Uh, a, it's a basically a temple. It's called a devola, uh, a, a house of the deity, wh that was dedicated to a particular god that is associated with the Hindu god Murugan or Skanda, the south, you know, the Tamil god, mm -hmm. uh, and in Sri Lanka is known as Katragama and is considered to be one of the guardian deities of Buddhism in Sri Lanka. And I would go to this temple, and it was really interesting, because the temple was laid out, it was like a, like a Hindu coil, like you'd walk in, and the main shrine to the deity was in the middle, and you would circumambulate it, and, uh, and, and you know, you could give puja to Katragama. And, and many of the aspects of that puja were the same, is what we'll talk about on Monday. But then just to the left, there was also a little monastery where four monks resided. And then behind that, there was a big statue of the Buddha and a, I believe a stupa. And there was all kinds of Buddha puja going on at the same time. And what people would do is they would walk in, they'd make an offering to Katharagama, to, the, to the, the deity who's associated with that temple. 
and do the exact kind of puja that we'll describe. They would, you know, there would be arati, there would be chanting. You you give the person your name, and he would make a, a prayer for you. The 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 Brahmin priest on behalf of you. Um, you'd get the tilak at the end, and you could eat the food as prasad, you know, as as grace from the deity. But then what you would do, what everyone did, would be to walk around the circuit in which they also then took some of the the flowers. And, and not usually the food, but just the flowers that were passed back to you after you offered them to the Katharagama. And then they offered them to various statues of the Buddha. And so it was, it, there was like a way in which the whole thing was seamless. And it was like a similar ritual act. I mean, it was like the similar act of honoring, but it was just done to different deities all at the same place. Uh, except that wouldn't fly in a Hindu... I mean, there's admirable recycling of flowers, <laughs> but uh, it's it's you know once they've been offered to the deity, uh, you know if you offer them to somebody else, th- that's a definite sign that they're lower in the hierarchy. It's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's, I mean, a, another example as you're speaking about that came to my mind in in the center of Bangkok. Uh, there's a Hindu temple which is not a. Uh, it, it, it's a modern planting there to deal with or to, to cater to a Hindu diaspora that's not an ancient Hindu diaspora. There are ancient links there, but this is a modern temple built to deal with, you know, Hindus, Indians who are living in in, in Bangkok. Um, But I was talking to the the priest there who were Tamil, um, uh, one of them anyway, and one of the things that uh, the temple has become well known for is luck in picking lottery numbers, which is a big deal in in Thailand, right? Mm. Getting the right lottery numbers and there's a, Buddhist places that 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 are lucky in that regard, but this Hindu temple has somehow, coincidentally or not, become become known for that. So outside this Hindu temple, or in, in the, just in the in the you know the entranceway of the temple, were all these more or less devout Thai Buddhists. Mm doing the rituals that they would normally do mm. in a Thai Buddhist temple mm. to get their lottery numbers. And I asked this Hindu priest about it, and he said, well, we don't know what they're doing. Mm. <laughs> mm. But we're just kind of generous, and, you know, we're, 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 we're visitors here, so we're hospitable, and we let them do their thing, and, you know, no harm comes of it. But uh, mm. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of kind of, on that lived religion level, mm. uh, all bets are off, right? And people mm. can do uh, whatever they want to. I mean, I can give you another example, which... Um, I've used is that um, uh, there's a Catholic shrine in South India uh, where to St. Anthony who has a reputation for uh, healing mental illness um, um, and one of the practices that people do either as a way of um, asking for help with mental illness or acknowledging help that's being received is to sacrifice a goat now this doesn't often you don't often see goat sacrifice going on in christian churches mm. um, but at the shrine it's a it's a christian chapel and and the, the priests there work with a lot of you know people with 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 mental uh, illness problems um but they've managed to corral the goat sacrifice to a little shrine <laughs> like they're not doing it in the main church yeah. right they're doing yeah. it around the back and 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 they seem to be you know it's going to happen, and it's got to happen. Yeah. But you do it outside. Please don't do it right inside the church. So yeah. you know, it, it, yeah, these boundaries that we erect as scholars yeah. are not always. Um, yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to so raise. Let me, just, on, let me just sorry, let me just riff a little bit further on this because I think there's. I mean, what Will's kind of putting his finger on too is there's something that's bigger and um, perennial in the in the study of religion, which is that these kind of um, 
uh, you know, these protocols or these um, scripts of devotion, they kind of circulate among different populations, you know, such that it becomes, you know, it's intelligible, say, to a Buddhist what's going on in a in a Hindu shrine or what it even would have been historically in the same way that it's intelligible for, um, you know, like exorcism has, has uh, you know, moved between boundaries mm-hmm. of different religions. Sacrifices move between boundaries of different religions. There's a, there's a uh, really interesting phenomenon that's hap- happened in North America with the Native American church in which the, the kind of protocols and the, and the different um, uh, structures of, of religious practice that were adopted ultimately by what became the, um, I can't remember if it's the United Church or the Native American Church um, collective in, in the United States are very much like, you know, Protestant kind of ritual things. It happens on a particular day and it, there's a particular set of hymns and all the rest of it. And this kind of uh, mutual influence and co-structuring is, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's happening almost like independently of the religious traditions themselves. And the other example would be uh, you, you showed the Buddhapada. Yeah. Uh, which did you call it Adam's Peak? So yes, of course that's sacred to multiple religions. Yeah. yeah. So for for Hindus, these footprints are the footprints of uh, I forget whether it's Hanuman or Rama when he arrives on Lanka to rescue Sita. Yep. Um, for there's a, there's for Muslims it's it's Adam. Yeah, it's the first man. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and they negotiate this shared. It's under Buddhist control now. It is right. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, the Bodhgaya temple, on the other hand, was under Hindu control for a long time, yeah. and it was wrestled back in the 19th century. Interesting process, but uh, yeah. Um, to come back to our paper, uh, as interesting as the stuff is, uh, so this is the first time we've taught the paper in this way with explicit mm. um, blow by blow comparison, yeah. um, which is in some ways going back to an older model in the academic study of religion. Um, which at one stage a popular name for what we do was comparative religion, yep. making the point that comparison was the explicit way. And, yep. and, and one of the alleged fathers or founders of the discipline, uh, Friedrich Max Müller, yep. uh, had this famous adage that he who knows one knows none, yep. that you could only learn by comparison, yep. that, that, that the, the particular features of one religion only stood out uh, by comparison with another. So does your experience in... You know, rethinking puja by doing it alongside mm. Hinduism have have you proved him right that I, you've learned I, I, through this? I think this? that must be right. I mean, that you know, for those who aren't kind of um, familiar with the academic study of religion as it's developed over the last oh, we, oh ten minutes here, as it's developed over the last I don't know a couple of uh, well the last century at least, this model, the Max Muller model, was the dominant model for a long period of time, and much of what we're, we've seen recently in the study of religion, the the push toward specificity, the push toward actually not using um, transcultural categories, which were often imposed within, you know, that are often anglophone or were imposed during the process of colonization. That um, that, that that comparison is actually an act of domination in which you reduce the the complexity of one culture to the categories of another, and so on. That. Um, that, that this is the moment we've been living in in, in religious studies for the last mm. well for the period of time that both of us were probably trained, but we have lost something in the in the in the push away from comparison or in the rejection of comparison on various grounds. I think we have some lost something. Certainly something in the pedagogy, because it seems to me that um, there were some insights brought into class today about comparing Hinduism and Buddhism that probably wouldn't have gotten there if it weren't for this explicit comparison. Yeah, and I mean, the the downside of that process was, you know, uh, speaking of the Hindu Bible, the Buddhist Bible. Yeah. 
Hindus and Buddhists have sacred texts, but they interact with them in very different ways yeah. than particularly Protestant Christians, let's say, interact with the Bible. I mean, yeah. Hindus don't sit down and read the Vedas. They certainly didn't uh, until quite recently in, in, in that way. So, yeah, there's a misleading. But I guess for me, what I'm looking forward to with the rest of the paper is to see where we began. It, Puja is this rooted in some deeper similarity in yep. the cultural context yep. that, that these traditions are flourishing in or and when we come to other other topics i think next week is gender yeah uh, that'll be interesting uh, yeah. are, are will the comparisons be as fruitful be as useful yeah. um so yeah but we'll, there of course we'll you see. have a, a most obvious comparison which is that you know in, in, in you know in the cultures where you know uh, gender asymmetrical right I mean the, the, historically and and arguably into the present moment and so um, how is that asymmetry manifest in these different religions Buddhism is often held out as the one that was better for women yeah. you know for lack of a better term um, it'll be interesting to see if that's the case in our comparison right so the other one I think is going to be really interesting is comparing yoga and meditation right because in a lot of I guess, ancient kind of manuals and religious, you know, again, in the religious manuals, these things are, are, are similar, right? And they're actually held sometimes what we, we, what we would call today meditation is described as yoga yeah. and, yeah, and one, vice versa. You know, yeah. bhavana could be also um, a form of yoga the other way around, yeah, right? absolutely. So well, that'll be interesting. Yeah. And it'll be great to see you um, in a loincloth doing hot yoga exercises in front of the class as a demonstration. Oh, we'll all be doing it, man. We'll all be doing it. Uh, yeah, including the class. We need to, we need to organize that, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was, that was interesting. Uh, stay tuned, faithful listeners. And more comparison coming soon. Oh, hold on. <coughs>